Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, and welcome along to episode 70, part A of the Howie Games. This is actually our final episode of Series 5, but don't worry, we'll be back in a couple of months and I've got some super guests lined up, so please keep an eye out for the show when it returns. Series 5, no doubt our biggest series to date. The download numbers, subscriber numbers, blown our socks off. So thank you to everyone out there for listening, subscribing, and just as importantly, for recommending it to others. That's really, really cool. Thanks. Alrighty, episode 70 features a man who has dedicated a large part of his life to Australian rules football, Nathan Buckley. Kicks it straight to Lockyer, to Buckley, who unloads from 55 metres out! Buckley's gold! Nathan is brought to us by Wolf Blass and their Chase the Finals campaign. Bucks, as he is known to all and sundry, played 20 games with the Brisbane Lions and 260 with the Collingwood Football Club. Go Pies! He won the AFL's highest individual award, the Brownlow Medal, is a six-time winner of the Copeland Trophy, which is Collingwood's best and fairest award, and was selected in the All-Australian team seven times. Nathan was a champion of the game. Since he retired, he has become a coach and has been the Collingwood senior coach since 2012. So there's the numbers, but the stats don't really tell the story of this man. Nathan's devotion to the game has taught him many of life's lessons, some of them wonderful and, as he describes, some of them really brutal. But the time and effort that Nathan has put into self-improvement and personal development, I find it really inspiring because the man is never satisfied. He is always striving. This episode covers childhood doubts, bags of cash, victory, dominance, getting knocked down time and time again, injury, footy stories, coaching capers and a healthy dose of life. Lessons. I reckon this episode has something for everyone. So enjoy Nathan Buckley. So when you search and then you find and know just where to go and thoughts that once used to cloud your mind, you see clearly and now you know mystery what is to be revealed in King Selassie. I come on, children, try it with me. We want to reach Mount Zion. Not that tragic, mate. No, I was just saying, Nathan, welcome. I've got you in a black and white chair. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have sat on it if it was any other colour, mate. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Hey, uh, we're very lucky that Wolf Blass has provided a bit of time. And I'll be completely honest with you, Nathan, reading a bit of your story, bloke growing up in Northern Territory, playing for the Bears, Collingwood, one of the world's greatest mullets, <laughs> I wouldn't have picked you necessarily as a wine man, but it's something obviously you're into. Well, my wife is a big wine, wine drinker, right. in particular the whites, but um, I don't mind a big red periodically. And um, and through um, the association with Wolf Blass, I've probably drank a few more different types different types of grape mm-hmm. so um yeah it's it's been it's been interesting the, the connection is mainly um with the philosophies of the way to go about it the wolf blasters um program is about the chase and and learning a little bit about their history um it's about con- constant improvement and evolution and finding a better way so um that's definitely where my headspace is at at the moment. So it was a, it was a bit of a no-brainer in that regard, and um, and yeah, to, so to so to be associated uh, is a is is really easy. There was uh, I saw in the initial promotion I saw on the news that they were knocking together a Bucks blend. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> a what would be what would be in the Bucks blend. Do you reckon? Well, the way it worked is 
I had 100% Cabernet and, and 100% Shiraz mm. in two in two separate containers and I had a bigger container and I just had to pour it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And all I needed to do was pour whatever percentage I thought I needed <laughs> right into right there. Right so that was as simple as the so Bucks blend was, mate. Too. I didn't I – I wasn't – sort of thinking about what sort of oak I was putting it in. <laughs> there wasn't any any real science to it other than just tipping in a bit of Cabernet, a bit of Shiraz and then having a sip after that. So it was um, it was a media event um, but it, I might say that they probably should they probably should market it because it tasted bloody good. My word they should. <laughs> I, I mentioned at the start uh, in the intro it's the chase the final. So you explain it to me. You need to get this at wolfblast.com. I read the prize and thought I'd got it wrong because it can't actually be Quite right, what they're giving away. Isn't yeah, it? it's it's an awesome um, price. So you go, you go and buy a bottle of wine, um, Wolf Blast wine, or yeah, Wolf Blast wine, or go to the website and purchase something off the website, and you can uh, win double passes to the next ten grand final. So either AFL or NRL, your choice. Um, obviously, they're in the Sydney, Sydney and Queensland markets, or the NRL market as well, but. Um, that's a pretty, that's yeah. a, it's a pretty good um, thing to, uh, to to have um, have your hand up for. So a decade of grand final tickets. Yeah, well, that's um, that's a fair investment. So the company, <laughs> the company, <laughs> put their hands in their pockets to provide that. But um, yeah, look, I, I've actually taken my boys to. Uh, well, obviously they went to last year's, but yeah. went and watched um, Richmond's the, the year before, and, and Western Bulldogs win the year before that. Um, and we actually sat there as a family. So the last three grand finals, one obviously the last one we were involved in, the two before that, we've sat there and uh, the four of us and watched, huh. you know, what is pretty much you know one of the marquee events or entertainment spectacles mm. in um, in Australia and and you know probably in the world you don't know, get a hundred thousand people to many things these days but um, yeah so my boys are have sort of grown from that their experience of that as well but it's um, it's a great bonding experience there's plenty going on around the place and and the and the game itself there's there's no better theater than than a game of footy that uh, where it's uh, winner takes all so can you take your young blokes to the footy with it's the grand final and take your family and can you sit there as a bloke in the crowd having a pie and chips and enjoying it or are you constantly looking at it thinking right this is what they're doing here this is what they're doing there um no i think once you get to the when i was a player i found it very hard not to sit and analyze and as a coach it's it's the same it's very similar but i but i think when um I've recently been able to you know, the capacity to be able to sit back and actually enjoy the game for what it is, and to sort of and to see you sort of widen your your, your focus a little mm. bit, and not just be so myopic, sort of looking at the one thing. So, I I, I found that you don't actually lose um, the ability to see what's going on in the game from a from an X's and O's perspective, and it probably gives it greater context. Um, so I think um, things wash over me a little bit more. I allow things to wash over me a little bit more now. So I go to a game of footy and, and I can I can observe and absorb the game of football and the lessons that I feel or the or the learnings that I th- that, that that I can take from it to go and coach or to go and impart that knowledge to um, 
or, or contribute in a coach's discussion or to impart it to the players. But I, um, but I think you actually, with greater context, is greater understanding. So I, I think I'd sort of take more in than I have before. Sit at a granny, watch that. We're at our season's done. You know, to watch Richmond win theirs, for instance, um, and to just enjoy the fact that they were on a on a roll. They were on a they were on a ride. They were up against an Adelaide side that had been pretty good, mm. but then just ground them out. And just to and just to um, see that and to respect that and to give the credit for that. And uh, you, what we do understand is that things happen in waves. There's momentum in everything, and and um, you know we we were a part of it last year, and we hope to continue it. We'll get to last year a little bit later on. We'll explore your story a bit, but just just one more thing on the on the modern game. It's a Tuesday now, mm. and this episode we normally have a bit of a lag, but it'll go out in on yeah. Thursday this yeah. week. So it's uh, a couple of nights ago you lost to the West Coast yep. Eagles. Yep. At what stage, siren goes at 10.30 on Saturday night, yeah. at what stage does the disappointment of that get flushed out of your system? Because if I sat with some athletes here and yeah. they'd lost on a Saturday, I'd be thinking, oh, geez, I hope they win because I know they're still going to be flat. Yeah. Whereas I came in today thinking, well, I don't think you probably will yeah. be just seeing you from the outside. Well, we were um, you know, bitterly disappointed with our first round performance against Geelong. Um, we, pl- we played really well against Richmond and we played okay against West Coast without knocking it out of the park. So I think in the end we we were disappointed with the loss um, and we had a quick chat about it after the game with the group. Um, uh, met with our leaders. We, we reviewed yesterday, met with the leaders first thing and um, one of our leaders said that he was walking into the club and he wasn't, you know, usually he's... he's um, Pretty shitty after a loss, mm. but he said, "Like he goes, look, we, you know, we will we'll take some lessons out of that. We, we've um, we've got some real strong learnings out of it, and we'll. Um, I'm really looking forward to attacking the Bulldogs on Friday night, and and I don't know whether that that attitude has come a little bit from me, but we we sort of winning and losing is uh, and the importance that you put on it uh, on a." On a small sample size, so one game. We've got 22 games mm. in the year. You, you definitely want to win enough games to qualify. But it's all about improvement. It's all about finding our best. So if we can take the lessons from any win or any loss and then and then action that in the next week and, and find better, well, then that's really what our challenge is. So, Do, do you get home? So the, the game finishes Saturday night. What time do you get to bed? What time do you get to sleep? Um, Does it spin around your head for hours, bucks? Or well, do you we just... had an extra hour. We got the well, daylight oh, saving, so that was, that was, that was handy. Yeah. Um, no, look, I um, I try and avoid going to the game on the evening now. I, I, I leave it till the next day. Um, and, and I think that the, the reason for that is just to is just to find the right headspace to be able to go back to it. So it takes a good four or five hours, maybe longer, you know, to to oh. code a game of footy, um, depending on what you're looking for and and what you and and whether you've got a, a solid handle on you know, whether in the real time that you feel that you've got a that you've got an, an idea on where the the big ticket items are. But so, so can you get home and pretty much put your head on the pillow and go to sleep? Oh no, I generally go home. Yeah, you know, have a have a couple of quiet ones with Tanya and yep. and um and then sort of yeah and and then head up and you know, it sort of takes a little while just for the just for the uh, excitement yeah. to subside and 
um, and you are up for a fair bit of the a, bit, a fair bit of the evenings oh, in regards to you know having the emotions run through your body and you're in the moment and you know there's there's so many ebbs and flows in a game of footy so you're sort of you're not physically drained but mentally and emotionally it can can get you I, I find that I'm more even than I have been so it's probably doesn't take as long to wind down as as it would have you know three or four years ago or ten <laughs> years ago as a player. Let's go all the way back. When do you first remember kicking the footy, Nath? Um, one of my earliest memories um, was training with Dad uh, at Super Rules. Right. <laughs> and um, lane, lane work with, with the old dudes, and they used to really punch the drop kicks in. <laughs> and, and I took a chesty, or what I thought was a chest mark, but it actually it hit my right bicep and... Like just like a belly whacker. I, I remember. I, I think I was nearly in tears. It stung. I took the mark. But, of course you did. But um, that's one. Of, that's one of my earliest ones. But I mean, obviously, I that was actually. I reckon I was about seven or eight at that point. Sort of running around, sort of sort of having kick of the footy with the Super Bowl guys. But clearly, um, you know, from an early age, kicking sort of. Uh, Kicking a pair of socks around the uh, the corridor, or um, used to make an iced coffee cart and push the corners in, fill it with with paper, tissue paper, and push the corners in and, and tape it up and kick that around inside because <laughs> I, I couldn't uh, didn't always have a footy. I wasn't always allowed to kick a footy inside, but I think um, reflecting on it, I always had a passion for for sport um, and for ball sports and and in particular footy because Dad was. Uh, Dad was always in it, and and uh, that was not just his passion, but his, his profession there for a little while as a coach as well. And, and your dad travelled all around, which you travel with, um, which we'll have a chat about. I should have looked beforehand. I meant to look beforehand. Did your dad serve? Yeah, so dad went to Vietnam for a seven month period. Um, I remember an incredible yeah. story that Neil Kearney did when. Yeah, went so we went, ac- we went across in, in 2010. Um, yeah, back to Vietnam with Dad first dad time. Uh, no, he that was the first time he'd wow. been back and it was the first time that we'd really sort of spoken about it and opened up on it. So the plane trip over, he'd actually put a, as Dad does, he'd, he'd put a, a document together, um, had, had um, printed out a whole heap of information on the war uh, on his time there, on the reasons for it, um, on the key events that occurred, you know, throughout the Vietnam War, um, and he was able to read through things. And so, as you would understand, his truth and his recollection, you know, is one perspective of it. But he was keen to just to tell me that his perspective of his involvement in the war and Australia's involvement in the war. So. I had about 80, pa- 80 pages to read on the, on, the, on the flight over, which um, which was great. Though? Yeah, it was it was it was really good. It was um, yeah. Look, it was one of those um, one of those adventures, really, um, and time spent with dad that uh, that you. I think every. Every son sort of needs to do with his old man just to get to know him a little bit better. Um, we think we know we're our dads and we think we, we know our family really well, but very rarely do you sort of get out of your day-to-day and, and actually get them to talk about themselves in a, in a really deep sense and share, share some secrets and some 
And what was his overarching feeling coming back from being in that situation, Nate? Well, he carries, he carries and, and his mates carried a lot of resentment around how that came about, for one. Like, he went through training and there was... Was, um, he, was he conscripted? No, well, he, went, he wasn't conscripted. But, uh, so he was... Yeah, so he was conscripted, but when he was basically ninety percent through his training, that was repealed, right. and all of all of the people in his uh, regiment were allowed were basically told you can go if you want, but you don't have to. And he decided to. Yeah, well, they all did because right. they'd already got all their, their heads around it, and I can understand that yeah. totally. So, the, sorry, the resentment you were saying. Yeah, well, but, but then I think that added to the resentment because in the end they sort of. The guys that Dad went with, even though they were conscripted, they actually ended up having the choice on whether they went or not. So, does that mean that you lose your, you, that your resentment gets diminished because mm. you actually got a, you've actually had a choice? So he was in that sort of nexus at that point. But um, when they came back, they were he he spoke to me about you know off the plane, don't go through the terminal because the protesters are there. They didn't like so don't go don't go through the terminal, just walk around that way. And um, that was that was the thank you and the goodbye for serving your country. There was no more contact from the government. There was no more contact to, um, of support or... Which is the opposite, the way we like to think we treat those that have served us. Yeah, and, and, and because it was not like the Vietnam War was, was seen as a war that we didn't need to be at, but we still had Australian people fighting in it and Dad was one of those for a short period. And... Um, you know, he sacrificed and put his life on the line, um, and he was a he was a gunner, so he was in the artillery. So they were a little bit away from the front line, and they'd be lobbing shells over the top of the the, uh, the infantry at times. Um, so, but even having said that, like he's in another country, and you mm. camped up, and you camped up, and you had times when um, when the enemy would come into the camp, and and there were some some deaths. Um, in that circumstance, so you're not putting your head on your pillow, or if you had a pillow, you're not putting your head down with any real comfort. So, Dad went through all of that. His mates went through all that. He lost mates, and then he come back, and then you you basically said, oh, "Go that way, e- exit stage left," and hmm. never to never hear from the the people that you worked for, that you had um, sacrificed for, or that you had invested in. Um, and there, there was a lot of resentment from Dad and, and the and the people that were involved uh, at that time, which you can understand. My word, I, I read I read your book All I Can Be with Ben Collins, which is pretty um, honest because most books about people, it's all the good stuff, but you put mm. the bad stuff in there as well. It, your dad wrote you a lot of letters. Mm. Would you mind reading just the first paragraph of this letter? And now we've heard about your dad. I think people mm. will understand where he's coming from. And, mm. And look back and think whether he's got it. Just that first paragraph from Dear Nathan. Uh, Dear Nathan, for some time now I've been saying to you that you have to get tougher, which has brought about various reactions from you. In my overview on life, no one gives you anything. You have to earn it. Your main achievements will be the ones you earn, and to win more than you lose, you have to be tough. The toughness I'm talking about is mental and physical and applies to business and everyday life as much as sport. What do you reckon? Yeah, well... <clears throat> he wrote you a lot of letters. Yeah, well, th- I haven't picked up that book for um, a long time. It's a good well, book. I, yeah, well, I, I, it, it is a... It's something I'm really proud of because, you know, I, I'm, I have pride about my my upbringing. Um, I, I'm really proud of 
mum and dad and what they were able to provide for myself and my sister and I and I have a greater appreciation for it now than I ever ever did as as a you know, you're a dad. as a dad of my of my own but probably even not just as a dad but just with more understanding of the way the world works it's interesting in that you know dad mentions mental and physical mm. and he would the emotional side of my life um and my understanding and my the importance I place on emotions, your own and understanding others and and how important that is, the emotional maturity. Uh, see, for Dad, I think it was it was pretty black and white. Yeah. I think I don't think emotion. Yeah, if you put mental, physical, and emotion, yeah, and emotional together, f- mental and physical would have been right up there, and emotional was down here. Yeah. And and I, you know, Dad was a guy that held his emotions pretty close and I reckon I and he and I was parented that way so that's the way I was for a long time um mum was the opposite she was always you know life of the party you know peacock you know wanting to talk to people connect with people flat out and it was all about emotional connections for her so I was somewhere in between but um I can understand exactly where dad's coming from then and being tougher was what it was all about and being harder was what it was all about and that's really what permeated through my early um yeah my adolescence and then early adulthood but you weren't in your own words in this book especially on the footy field you weren't a tough kid as a player we all have now look back on the way you played the game but as a young bloke that wasn't necessarily the way you went about it which was probably pretty tough for your dad i guess as well yeah well i reckon yeah i don't know this to be true but i reckon the reason i say i wasn't a tough kid is because i was probably told i wasn't a tough kid okay and i think we that's that's probably as simple as it is um i mean what is what is toughness um there's plenty of different types of it um i was definitely resilient i was a resilient kid um and i and i went through a fair bit you know and 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 in the end mum and dad weren't really financial you know they worked they it was dual income just to keep everything going at one stage there uh, become aware that um your mum and dad were we were going to move to darwin and before we moved to darwin they had some savings they spent the savings to go on a family holiday to bali um and it was all about a reset and i can still remember that trip to bali but when we came back and and settled in darwin there was no savings and there was just enough to you know it was now two professional um people making incomes and then and then seeing where we were going to go from there so um i never felt like we were poor but but there's no doubt that mum and dad and mum and dad had skills that they could always ply which was which was fortunate for us and for them but um yeah there was there was a lot of moving around the country there was um a lot of having to um create new friends and um how many yeah, primary schools? Thirteen. Ooh, well, no, no. So I don't know about primary schools. Right, thirteen, 13 schools including in high schools. So you were the new kid, thirteen times. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and and that builds resilience. Oof. That challenges you. And, and I and I, I, I think I, by the end, you take it for granted that you've just you can cope with that. Uh, and it's helped me in my in my life and my responsibilities in my role at Collingwood, either as a as a representative, as an ambassador, whatever mm. you want to call it. I can walk into a room of, you know, with a hundred people that I haven't met, and I'm pretty comfortable. You know, I, I can talk to anyone, 
anywhere, anytime. And I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that that I was exposed to situations as a as a as a young fella that um, you need to find a way. And you know, so I've you know, mum's mum's a community health nurse. I've travelled to remote indigenous communities and had to sleep there overnight and and get to know you know and find a way so i i go go there as a as a seven-year-old i've been there as a 12-year-old i've been there as a 15-year-old and you sort of have to you you connect with the people and you realize i I, one thing i'm blessed with is that as i i don't i i mean we all see color and we all see creed and we all see um um, you know, sexual orientation. We all see all of that, and and I see that too. But I'm just, it just doesn't affect me. I I, I don't, I don't judge. I don't discriminate. I don't uh, marginalise. I just see people as people. And if you're a good person, well then, good on you. And if you if you do bad, if you're a bad person, you do bad things. I don't care about your status. So I I don't I don't stand for that either. Back to Bucks in a moment. The previous episode of the show featured Olympic gold medalist Sally Pearson, a rare athlete who has learned to produce her best performances on the biggest stages. And I walked around the track with Sharon and I said to her, Sharon was was my coach at the time, I said to her, I have to win this race. And she says, you are. I'm like, no, I have to win this race. And she goes, you will. I said, I know, but I couldn't stop saying it. I said, no, but I have to. I have to. Like, there's no ifs or buts about this. This has to happen. She goes, you will. <laughs> like, I just, like, I don't, I don't know what I was looking for. I don't know. I, I know I was looking for reassurance, but she was giving it to me. But did I really need the insurance because reassurance? Because I already had it in my head because I'm saying I have to win this. It's not like I want to win. I was like, I have to win this. And it was the first time I ever said that. That was Sally Pearson on episode 69. Alrighty, back to Bucks. So so without sidetracking this conversation too much, it's been highlighted and it's it's highlighted five times a year on our sporting fields and it'll be a million times a year off our sporting fields that we don't mm. see. When you see someone vilified mm. for being of a certain creed or race yeah. or sexual orientation yeah. as you're talking about, how does it make you feel as um, a bloke? Yeah, well, look, so I, I, I know it's inevitable. You're not going to get rid of prejudice and you're not going to get rid of um, you know, people. A lot of people, they only know what they know. So I have, I have great empathy, even for the people who do vilify or, or who are, um, um, who just, they just, I just think it's ignorance. It really is ignorance. And I don't necessarily think that it's that, person's fault as such because it's you're a pro, you're generally a product of your upbringing you're a product of your environment um, when you get to adulthood you have mm. a choice about where you want to spend your time and and how much you're going to challenge what you thought was right or what you'd been taught was right as a child um and you've got you've got the chance to become more open-minded and open-hearted there's no doubt about it um but it's never gonna it's never gonna go away there, there's just there's. I don't think there there is a utopia. I mean, without the um, you can't enjoy the sweet without the sour, and there's always going to be you know contrasts. So, and I think that's nearly important so that you can actually see good, and good is highlighted by mm. when someone's not so good. So, I, so that that contrast will always be there. I hate 
you know, I hate it when people feel bullied or vilified or less than. Um, I, that, I, I always feel uncomfortable in that situation. I don't I always feel for that person, but I, it's, it's a, there's a two-way street there. I don't – I actually went and watched Tim Minchin on um, hmm. uh, Sunday night, and it was amazing. Like, and I'd only really become aware of this bloke probably a couple of years ago. Um, but his views, he was actually talking about tribes and if you're part of a tribe, you need to assume these these beliefs and, and half the time you're looking over at other tribes and then you're saying, well, you, you can't, they can't they're, that's all wrong and this is all right and we know that that's not a reality. Mm. So to, to maintain a, an open mind and open heart is, is, a, is important. I'm a, it's, a, it's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that's important for me and it's important that my kids will have that and the people that I spend time with have that. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate. But we we we're going to have these circumstances when people just aren't respected um, appropriately. And with social media and and with the ability for information to transfer so quickly these days, unfortunately, the worst actually gets transferred quicker than the best. My word, and we've got it. to um, we've just got to suck that up because it's not going to change. Move so quickly. Are you talking about resilience? There's a photo in here of your book with half your leg hanging out as a young bloke, Nathan. The knee accident that almost ended my football career at 1988. That's a big old gash. Yeah. What happened there? Oh, we went with, so it was 1988. So, yeah, I, th- I thought I was 15. might have been earlier that year before I turned 16. So I reckon it was around Easter in 88. Um, went fishing with a couple of mates. So went over, stayed at a mate's place, and we got up at sort of some ridiculous hour, three in the morning or something, got on our bikes and went down to the wharf. Mm. And we reckon we got bored of fishing about half hour in. It was just three 15-year-olds <laughs> just getting in, just looking for trouble, basically, and we found it. <laughs> in, a, in a fairly <laughs> yeah. major way on your leg. Yeah. yeah, so we, I think we were fishing for a little while and then we were, we were having races around the wharf on our bikes and, and then um, uh, so dawn approached and the light was coming out and we sort of the rocks were on the on the side of this wharf and we we're trying to push these big rocks down the down the slope and we got we got we got one or two off and like they they were they were fair like took three of us to try and dislodge these rocks to get them down and uh, I was pushing on one uh, we, were, we were pushing on one at one stage and I got caught on the wrong side of the rock so I was on the downslope of this quite large boulder and I, I was I don't know how but I was able to sort of get myself out of its path, I thought I did anyway. Um, the rock had, had had sort of landed on my right leg, the inside of my right leg, and by the time I sort of looked down, my, that had rolled around and it was on the underside of my right leg, the inside of my right leg. Um, and it had you know, basically had split. It looked like a carving knife had gone through it. So it was a, it was, I think it was a contact injury, but I had nothing on the other side. I, just, I still don't really know exactly how I didn't, crush my, my, my leg or my knee or but it ended up um yeah so uh, i was bleeding out basically and um uh, the ambulance was about 15 minutes away um i ended up having um 80 80 stitches in the wound so i had to stitch around the vmo which had been sliced in half and so i had to stitch stitch a muscle back together and then a couple of layers to and i think you know, it was end up being about a five six inch gash um in the inside of my leg i was on i was in uh, i was on a in the hospital for two weeks i was in a chair for you know for about six weeks and i was on crutches for three or four months um around school so it was um 
But as I said, that's probably the resilience aspect. I, th- yeah. I look back at that and I think, oh, yeah, that was just what happened. But when you're in the moment, it's a bit more than just what's happening. Like you and, – and I don't even – like physically it, it affected me because I love playing sport and I wasn't able to go and do that. Um, I suppose when you get to a 15, 16-year-old, you're sort of thinking about yeah, you know, is this going to affect me for the rest of my life as well? Yeah, you know, what's this going to mean? At I that stage, were you thinking a career in? Yeah, I thought my tennis career, career was oh, done. Tennis. So it was tennis. It was tennis I, at that stage. I was, uh, I, I drove. I was in the ambulance, and and the ambulance went past the the, the tennis courts oh, that I played no. and worked at, and um, uh, and I and I teared up because I thought my tennis, <laughs> I thought my tennis career was over. But uh, at that point, I'd gone to tennis because footy was too hard. Dad was wailing on me. I was. It was. Um, how to how to go with your dad when you said I'm giving footy away? I'm going to play tennis. Well, I, I, I don't think I gave footy away, but I just took up tennis, and tennis in my mind was my primary. Right, w- w- was where I put most of my energy, and that was because you know Dad didn't know much about tennis. And <laughs> who would you describe yourself in the modern day tennis world? Give me a comparison. Oh, I've got no idea. Right-handed. <laughs> yeah. Who's got a really good forehand and no backhand? <laughs> I don't know. I reckon you'd you had a good mullet. You might have been an early sort of Agassi pre-winning Wimbledon. <laughs> uh, I, it was, I, like, I enjoyed my tennis. Probably the other thing is I felt, even at that point, I probably, and, I, and I'm, I don't know if I'm making this up, but it, it would make sense that because I was, because Dad was always, you got to be harder, you got to be tougher, and 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 I and I was, I might have felt like I was letting people down, and I I do, I remember I did feel like I was letting Dad down for a bit. But if you play tennis, it's an individual sport. The only person you're letting down if you don't go well is yourself. So I think I I would have carried that around as a young man for a little while, as a and and I definitely carry it around now. Um, but yeah, tennis was just easy because it was it was just me. I I had a bit of a temper. Did you? Yeah, I had a massive temper. Maybe more of a yeah. macro comparison. Maybe that might be me, mate. Yeah, <laughs> right handed though. So oh, yeah, um, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I, yeah. So that was that was that, and yeah, and, and it, it, that took a little bit to to come back from. But I was off to boarding school at the end of that year. We got um, sent down to boarding school in uh, Victoria, and the the tennis court at the boarding school at Salesian College, Rupert Wood was uh, Rupert's Wood was was cracked and. Lifted and wasn't wasn't the best quarter, and I reckon Dad might have seen that before he sent me there. <laughs> that is the end of part A with Nathan Buckley. Don't worry, there's plenty more to come in part B. See you there, listener.